I love December. Love Christmas. It makes me miss my parents, though. You could call my mom Sister Christmas. She decorated the house, outside the house. It was all out Christmas. She was a little hyperactive, kind of like Pastor Larry, where she was just, she was throwing microphones at people and stuff. But really, uh, my mother, my mother cherished Christmas. It was so important to her for us to come home. And but when we were, we were little, she would start baking cookies way ahead of time, put them in canisters, and and she figured out that we were a little pack of thieves, and so she started hiding the cookies. And so we, it kind of got creative where we, she'd get pretty good at it, and we would have to really work hard to find where they were at. One year, she got really good. We just like, well, I wonder if she even baked any. <laughs> she was so good that about a few years after that Christmas, she found some of them. <laughs> and I remember so distinctly her just apologizing to us and says, you children should have ate them instead of me wasting them. I won't ever hide them again. Y'all just eat them all month long. And we obliged. We, we ate them all month long. She had a little cookie she would make. She called them holly hermits. If anybody, there's a cookie that had little pieces of fruit in it, and it was a special recipe. But, uh, you know, we, 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 we grew up in uh, a time where we would eat anything. So <laughs> we thought everything was good. <laughs> I FaceTimed with Kelly this week and, um, and the kids and... Uh, she was uh, talking to me, and she started, she said, I want to do a Christmas tradition for my kids. So I don't know when she started this, but she does the first 25 days of December. Uh, she calls it 25 days of Christmas. And so she gets some of their older books, new books, um, and she gifts wrap, she gifts wrap a book for Abby and Joshua, and every evening they get to open that. She told me, I hope she returns them to the library. She says, I'm even doing library books. I said, well, good, just as long as they, they know they can't keep it. But those little kids love books. I don't know if you've tried to start that kind of a tradition, but when she got to talking about Nana and what Nana was planning for their Christmas, she spelled out the word G-I-F-T-S because she knew that she said Nana and Gifts that they'd want to know, what is she getting us? When Micah was born, he's nine, he's our oldest and, and uh, firstborn grandchild, I told Brenda, I said, I'm going to do something my dad did for our children and all of his grandchildren when they were born. He opened up a savings account at Coosa Pines Federal Credit Union where he worked at the paper mill in Childersburg. But he, he would just open it up, and then he says, now it's up to you to put anything in it. Well, I took that a step further. I opened up Micah, um, an account at Alabama Credit Union uh, for children and a savings account, and I opened it up, and every birthday I put the same amount in, and every Christmas I put the same amount in. When Asher was born, I did the same thing. When Sailor was born, when Abby was born, when Josh was born. And I told Kelly, now y'all need to slow down a little bit on these children. 
And, I, and Christmas is about to hit me pretty good. But I told Brenda this. I realized she likes to get some little trinkets and stuff and all of that. And, and I said, you know, when they're little, they're going to love you. But when they turn 18, if I'm still alive, they'll love me. Because <laughs> long after that toy is broken, when they see what it's... I'm a little surprised at what Micah has in his account right now. They said, don't tell him. But, uh, you know, this is a tradition. Last month, like Larry said, we giving is part of Christmas, right? It's, that's what Christmas is all about. Even if you don't use the coffee bar, stop in and drop something in that jar because $175 is the most we've had come in for the coffee bar. And it was for a girl's home, a girl's home in Ecuador. This month is going into Grace First. And this is the last Sunday, by the way, you can, can make a contribution. We just do this for a few Sundays and uh, make a check out to Grace First. But it, it's getting food baskets for Forrester Gardens and also for... Samaritan's Purse, who's really helping with some of the refugee camps that are having incredible needs. And in January, I want to give you a heads up on this, we're going to feature in our coffee bar for the first time Project Rescue. Doug and Ramona Jacobs have been very involved in, we, we've done some things for Project Rescue, but we've never featured them at the coffee bar. But girls who are caught up into the sex, sex tra slave industry in places like Bombay, um, uh, Delhi, and Bangkok, Thailand. We've kind of like spread it out. And they go in and rescue these girls out of those places, have homes for them, and their families don't want them since they, they don't want them back because they're tainted and, and tarnished by that. We're going to feature them in January. So I'm excited about that. Um, I want to take you to Ephesians chapter 2, first of all, before we get to, too far into the... This, the message. And as you're going to Ephesians 2, let me just make a reference to Psalm 23, one of the great Psalms, right? As a child, hearing the King James uh, and memorizing all the scriptures I've memorized has been in the King James. So this opening statement in Psalm 23 puzzled me as a kid. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And I would think, well, why don't I want him? You know, I was like, there must be something to this besides that. He maketh me to lie down in green. I said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And see, we didn't use want in reference to lack. But you think about that statement. And let me just change it up a little bit for you before we get into Ephesians 2. The Lord shepherds me. I will not lack for anything. That's pretty good, isn't it? The Lord is not just a title or a place. The Lord actively shepherds me. Therefore, I do not lack anything. And you jump down to where it says, surely goodness and Mercy, follow me all the days of my life. That's pretty good, isn't it? You don't lack anything. The Lord is your shepherd. There's nothing that you lack because he shepherds you. 
And if that's not enough, behind you is following goodness and mercy. A shepherd always leads the flock. You know, sheep and cows are totally different. You have to drive cows. You have to push cows. Sheep just follow the shepherd. It doesn't matter who it is. And the Lord leads us so that we never lack for anything. Always leads us to places of nourishment, of rest. That's that whole passage, isn't it? That he leads us to water. He leads us to green pastures, meaning he takes care of us. And following behind us is goodness and mercy all the days of our lives. Pretty good stuff, isn't it? In Ephesians chapter 2, this whole thing about Christmas, and I'm going to share a message this morning on a celebration of grace. Christmas is really a celebration of the grace of God. And this is the most prominent verse when it comes to grace. In Ephesians 2, verse 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. The two words that jump out to me in that passage are grace and gift, and they're so connected, aren't they? In reality, we might even say we're saved by grace through faith. It's not of us. It's the gift of God. It could be that God not only gives us grace, he gives us faith to receive grace. But the word for grace is charis. It means merciful kindness, benefit, that which brings you joy, delight, loveliness, but it also can mean charm, elegance the grace of that person. The word gift, though, is a lot different than another word for grace, for gift. And it's the word doron, God's gift, a gift associated only with God. Let me take you through just some references. In Matthew 2, when wise men arrived at the home where Jesus was at, they brought unto him gifts of gold, frankincense, and mirth. It's doron. Gifts associated with honor, with God, something you would give to God. In Matthew 5, doron is used again when a leopard is healed, and Jesus tells him this. Before you go home, you go back to, your, you go back to the temple, you show the priest that you have been healed of leprosy, and you give the doron, the gift that has been ordered for you in the law of the Lord given by Moses, as a testimony to what's happened to you. In Matthew 8, or Matthew chapter 5, Jesus explains an offering when you give a gift on the altar and you know that your brother has alt against you. Leave your doron on the altar and go be reconciled to him and then come back and worship God. Matthew 8 is where the leper is at. Doron is specifically a gift associated with God. It referenced when, when the widow cast her two mites in the treasury, that was considered a doron. It was a gift according to God. When Jesus reprimanded the Jewish people for not honoring their parents when they got up older and they didn't want to take care of them, they would say, well, we have dedicated what we have lacked as a doron to God. And, and Jesus says, you're perverting the law of the Lord. You're perverting the word of God. 
In fact, if you look at the language of Ephesians 2, 8, where it says, it is the gift of God, the words are opposite that rotation. And it says, it's Theos's Doron. It's God's gift to you. It's even more emphatic that this is God's gift. This is not just a gift. This is God's gift. The point of salvation is that God has given to us a gift of eternal life on your driver's license. And, and, and it's almost as though God is saying, I'm giving myself to you, right? Unto you a child is born, unto you a son is given. And that son is called mighty God. God has given himself to us. On your driver's license, you have a little notation there if you're an organ donor. Now, there was someone in my family, they're, they're deceased now, but when they, were, when they passed away, I found out they didn't, they didn't want to be an organ donor. And, and the reason was kind of absurd in my thinking, so I'm not going to go too far there. But my idea is that if somebody can use part of me that I don't need anymore, good. But I want to keep them as long as I need them. And to me, one of the most interesting things is when I hear a story of someone who is a match for a person who needs a kidney and they're willing to submit themselves to surgery to have one of their only two kidneys removed so that someone else can have a chance at life. How do you know that's a pretty good gift? You, you just don't gift wrap a kidney. It says here, Merry Christmas. When you give, when you give something of your own like that, that's kind of like what God is has done for us. He's given of himself to us, and salvation is God's gift to us. But there's another word for gift, and it's the word charisma. Does that sound familiar? Charis is gift. Charisma, or charisma is, is grace. Charisma is gift. And if you add the plural in the Greek is charismata. Now, does that ring a bell? When the charismatic movement caught wind in the 60s and 70s, and, and we were right in the thick of that, right in the middle at the time of our ministry in the 70s, we found ourselves right in the middle of Catholics and Episcopalians and, and all kinds of people arriving in our church that had been baptized in the Holy Spirit. It, it almost made me pull my hair out at times. Because it was like straining me with what they were bringing with them to church. To our church. So you can't keep doing that. But God was showing something in the 70s and 80s in the charismatic movement. They got that word from charismata, which is the word for gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's gifts out of God's grace through the Holy Spirit that he's given to the church. I remember interviewing for an Assembly of God church to an official board one time, and we attended the, the service, and uh, they were asking me questions, and when it came time, I asked them a question. And the question I asked, I'm not going to tell you which church it was, the question I asked is, uh, is was this a typical service? No, it was, yeah, there was something, something wrong. I said, well, I didn't see many people lifting their hands. 
And I remember one board member looked at him and says, well, we're not charismatic. I said, I, I don't even know what that means. I just know that I grew up in a church where people lifted their hands. And that's what I'm used to. I'm not, I'm not used to no expression of worship. I'm just telling you what I'm used to, but he kind of took offense. Well, we're not charismatic. Maybe we need a little bit of charismatic around here. But let me take you to some places where the word charisma, gift that comes out of God's grace, Doron is, has got its own special place because it's got God's gift. But gifts that operate here like this, Romans 6, 23, one of the verses in Royal Rangers that they teach you in sharing the gospel with a boy. For the wages of sin is death, but the charisma, but the gift out of grace, the gift that God gives out of grace is what? Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you go down to Romans chapter 11, verse 29, it says the gifts, and here it is, charismata, the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. Romans eleven twenty nine. You might know it from a different translation. The gifts and calling of God are without repentance. It simply means this. The gifts and calling that God has bestowed upon you as a person, he has not changed his mind. That's what without repentance means. That God has not rethought that and decided to revoke his gifts and calling upon your life. Let me tell you something. You might have been in a series of a a span of life where you feel like you've just blown it. I want to tell you, God has not changed his plan for you. It's still on the board. It's still in front of him. He has not revoked his plan and his gifts upon your life. No matter what you've done, God does not change his mind. They may be in limbo because of our disobedience, but he's not changed his mind about his purpose for you. And then you go to Romans 12, 6, which is one of another list of gifts, and there's that word charismata again. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace, and there we have both words in the same sentence. Since we have charismata, the gifts that come out of grace differing to everyone. In other words, he says, we we have differing gifts out of the same grace. We're not supposed to all be monolithic, like we all look the same and do the same, but we all have gifts according to the grace from which the gifts come out, the grace of God. And then Romans 8, this is one of my main verses, okay? So if if you hadn't turned to any of them, turn to this. How's that? This is a great, this is a great, this is a great chapter. Romans 8. It's a great book. I love Romans, I love this verse. Uh, Have I told you the verse yet? Haven't told you the verse yet. Let me build it up a little bit more. I love this verse. (laughs) I'm enthralled with this verse. This is This is good stuff. You can have church at home by yourself with this. 
You can just have the whole service. You can preach and sing and dance and cry and repent the whole thing right there in your home with this verse. Romans 8, 31. Romans 8, 31. What shall we say to these things? And I'm telling you, this makes me want to jump up and run out into the world and says, bring it on. If God is for us, who can be against us? How about that, huh? Is it pretty good? Oh, it's about to get better. But think about it. Here's, I think, where we we tend to wonder mentally when we see this. If God is for us, who can be against us? And we tend to remember the last thing we read in that statement, in that question. We start thinking about the people who are opposed to us, who have done something to us, that have been hostile to us, that offend us, that irritate us, that are actively working to undermine us. And we tend to gravitate to that, and we miss the, the whole point. We have the wrong focus. The focus is not on who, who can be against us. Because if you really pay attention to the front end of that, you come to this conclusion. It doesn't matter. If God is for us, that's the focus. God is for you. He's not against you. It's about to get really good here. If you're not excited yet, I'm thinking you just better, we need seat belts on these seats this morning. Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son. Now he's talking about how great God is for us. That statement, if God is for us, what does it mean? And meant he went to the greatest lengths to rescue us. He who spared not his own son. He who looked at the son that he'd had fellowship. We can't even say eternally because it wasn't even a word that it was associated with God. Forever in fellowship with the son. He gave his own son. That's how much God is for us. But it gets better. Delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him freely give us all things? See, did not spare his own son is just a starting point. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Before we ever breathed a prayer, And had one sliver of faith to come out of our soul to reach toward God when we were doing our own thing in our own way. He died for us. You think about it. He died for the men who drove the nails into his hands and feet. He he died for Pilate. He died for Judas. He died for the high priest and all of them who had really set him up in a false accusation he even said father forgive them forgive them they have no idea what they're doing he died for them while we were in our rebellion while we were at our worst and could have been even more worst he died for us 
That's when we were that way. And then he says, now that we have grace, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of grace, how shall he not freely give us all things? And the word forgive there is charisomai. It's the word that comes from charisma, gift. It's this extension of God to us. How shall he not give to us something pleasant, something benevolent, pardon, forgiveness, restoration, preserving? Oh, the goodness of God. Oh, the utter, complete goodness and kindness of God. Freely give us all things. Now, how does that that, uh, apply practically to us? You know, I saw in the song up there we're singing, I want more of you. Someone asked me one time, says, uh, what's the difference in, in, the, in the Holy Spirit coming into your life at salvation and, and the immersion of the Holy Spirit, what we call the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues? Someone said, what is the difference there? And I remember telling a, a couple years ago, right here, about in the middle section of this altar, who, who were raised all their lives, committed to the Lord, but hungry for God, ask me that question. We receive the Holy Spirit when we're saved. What is the difference in getting this second blessing or whatever we call it of being immersed in the Holy Spirit? And this is what I told you. It didn't come from me. I heard it from someone else, okay? I said, when we receive Jesus, we, we receive the Holy Spirit. We get the Holy Spirit. But when we're immersed in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit gets us. And I think, nothing wrong about the song, but I think we need to say, Lord, I want you to have more of me. Because in reality, if you look at this statement, how shall he not freely give us all things? You know, the more... The more is already on you. The more is already in you. Sometimes we don't comprehend it. Sometimes we're not aware of it. Sometimes we're not getting it. Sometimes there's blockages in our lives. We don't focus on that. We kind of make Sunday the Lord's day and the rest of the week is our week. You know, we can, we can tend to be that way. We can tend to be habit in how we are doing church and, and really where we need to be the church. And we, we kind of make this day a little bit more special than other days, and I can understand that. But every day, as Joe Keller would say, every day is Christmas. Every day is Easter. Every day is a celebration of the Lord. Last Sunday, when I was preaching, someone came up to me and said something about they, they had a friend that just kind of dove into the, the messianic symbols of, of Judaism, and, and they say, you're supposed to go to church on the Sabbath, which is Saturday, and, and all of this. And I said, well, you know, you have to take, you just have to rip Romans 14 out of your Bible if you go there. Because I was saying something about the veil that's over people's eyes. Every day is a celebration of Jesus. Every day is worship. Every day is walking in the grace of God. And we have this on us every day. Not just Sunday. One more passage I'm going to take you to. And now I'm finished. 2 Peter chapter 1. And I don't know if 2 Peter, if Peter wrote this with any kind of idea that maybe this is his last correspondence with believers. 
like Paul did with his second letter to Timothy? Who knows? We do know that Peter was crucified upside down. But in the opening words of this, and I love these biblical greetings, I try to practice it. Grace and peace be upon you. (laughs) Greetings and salutations be upon you. Why not? It's better than, hey, what's going on? What's up? That's really spiritual. And I say it. But that's not the way he starts it. Well, what's going on over there? He says, here's a bond servant. I'm a bond servant. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. And I'm writing to all those who've obtained light, precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And what's the first word in verse 2? Carice. Grace. He's speaking grace over them. Not just grace in the sense of it being separate from God, but he's speaking the grace of God and the peace. And he even explains this. He said, I'm I'm speaking grace and peace to you in a multiplied way in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. There's, There's no grace that's beneficial to us outside of Jesus. There's no peace that is beneficial to us outside of the Lord. Jesus said, I give you peace not as this world gives you, but I give you my peace, which is a different peace. And Peter is saying, I'm giving you grace. I'm speaking grace over you. And then in verse 3, he says, as his divine power has given, and that's the word doriomai, it goes back to a God-like gift to you. And this gets really profound. It's not like he, this is past tense. He's telling them, you already have it. You already have this. God has bestowed this upon you. Not he's going to, he already has. You see, upon us, on who we are, it's upon our shoulders and in our hands to say, Lord, help me to understand this. Help me to get this. Help me to experience this. He has given to us all things that pertain to life. Now, that's a profound statement. You've got it. You've got everything you need. And so, well, Pastor, how do I I know that? How do do I experience that? Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. And here is a foundational statement by which have been given the same word is used again. It's only used three times in all the New Testament, and two of them is in the same passage. Charisomai, God gives you a gift out of his grace. And out of his grace, he's given to us exceeding great and precious promises. That through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. You know what? I don't even know if I understand that. But me trying to understand it is profound. 
God wants to speak some things to you that you need to know that's already in you. You don't think it's in you because you, you don't maybe feel it or you don't, you, you, it hasn't come to your mind or, or you're reaching, you're grasping, you say, I can't make sense of this. I don't know why my family's going through this. I don't understand what I'm going through. I don't understand what's happening to me. And because we have this lack, we think that it's a lack from God. God has already spoken to us and he's already given us all of these things. How do we get that? Well, I can only tell you that it takes a little bit of a separation from activities and your usual habit to wait in his presence and to dwell on him and to worship him and let him speak to you. Brandon, if you can come back to the instruments. I, I had a, a moment a couple of mornings ago that stopped me in my tracks. And I heard God say something to me that I've never heard it so clear and crystal. And it broke me. I'm not going to tell you what he said. But what I walked away from there, when I kind of got my composure, I said, Lord, how many times you must have said that and I wasn't listening. I know you've said that to me, but today I've heard it. It wiped me out. It wasn't profound, but it was profound to me. It was something he said to me with my name attached to it. There is nothing better than when God talks to you and he calls you by name and says something to you so elementary but so profound that it reconstitutes. I said, Lord, I'm sorry. I've never heard that before. And all the days that you probably said that, I wasn't listening. How many want to hear things like that from God for you? How many? <laughs> I am so eager. And, and, and I've told the Lord all since that time, Lord, thank you for saying that to me. Thank you for saying that to me. Thank you for saying that to me. I needed it. What do you need God to say to you? Would you stand with me?